I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We've spent some time in 1 Corinthians and even looked at that alongside of Pentecost. Uh, but now we're going to go and just spend a few, a few weeks in 2 Corinthians. The letters to the church in Corinth are found in the New Testament, um, right after the Gospels and the book of Acts and Romans. And then you can find First and Second Corinthians. We'll be looking just at the first 11 verses of Second Corinthians this morning. And as we do so, it's worth noting where this letter starts. The title for today's sermon is, The God of All Comfort. And maybe we hear that and we think, that sounds so soft. Maybe that's some kind of new-agey, watered-down version of God who's all about comforting people. But before you think that, know that it's a direct quote from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, where we give praise be to the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Our God is the God of all comfort in the midst of all trials and tribulations. And so there's a time to be challenged. There's a time to be prodded. There's times when God needs to move us from where we are. There's times when God needs to step in and correct our sinful thinking. But where 2 Corinthians starts is with comfort. Comfort in the midst of affliction. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. But before we do so, let's pray. God, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that you give us comfort, that the gift of your word may comfort us, that your Holy Spirit may come into this place, be at work in our hearts and minds, that your Holy Spirit may illumine your word to us, that from it we may receive comfort, that we may be comforted by you and learn to comfort those around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, 
about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a pastoral imperative of mine that in funerals we make space to grieve. It seems obvious, doesn't it? But sometimes when death comes, and I had no idea when planning for this sermon that we would have to be carrying the news that we have about Grethel being close to the end of her life. And so I carry that with me this morning. But when I think about the funerals that we've experienced here together, it is an imperative of mine that we make space to grieve. In a funeral we have a lot of confrontation with the meaning of life and with death. We confront that reality, and there is pain and there is grief in being separated from people that we love because people are irreplaceable. But the best of our Christian faith and the best of the church's tradition offers us a way to come and confront death and make meaning of it. And that's what a funeral is for, to make meaning of hope, to make meaning of the celebration of life. But in the midst of all of that, we cannot lose the space and time simply to grieve. Even when those of our senior saints who are old and full of years pass away peacefully in their sleep, there is still grief. We still grieve because we have been separated. Even if only for a time, we are separated nonetheless. Saying goodbyes are painful. And if you've grieved or surrounded someone who's grieved, you know that it's not just a one-day thing either, but that for weeks and months and even years to come, there will be little things that bring us back to the memory of someone we love. And in that moment, we experience some grief because we've been separated. There needs to be space for grief, alongside of all of the space that we make for celebrating life and for hope. Because the type of comfort that we are taught about in Scripture, particularly in this passage, is comfort that comes to us in the midst of suffering and grief and hardship and pain. Scripture does not teach us about a type of comfort, if you'll call it that, that is based on ignoring the pain or pretending that something isn't as bad as it is 
or dressing up our more honest thoughts with our more pleasant platitudes, the nice things that we say that we think about and know would not be helpful for us to hear if we were in someone's shoes, but we seem to say them anyway. Comfort comes in the midst of real grief, not in pretending it's not there, not in trying to make it something less than what it really is. Because, my friends, while we are here on this earth, grief is real. Grief is real. We are separated from people we love. We struggle against diseases of both physical nature and mental nature that seem to have no real hope. Grief is real. We experience pain in our bodies, in our relationships. Grief is real. But comfort is also real. And real comfort, real and true comfort, comes to us most fully when we accept the reality that grief is real, that we don't try to box it up and make it smaller than it is. Comfort and grief coexist. The grief we experience is real. The pain is real. The comfort is also real. A few years ago, when preaching from the wisdom literature of the Bible, there was a phrase that I used, that true wisdom comes to us from God and leads us back to God. And the same concept is true for comfort, that true and real comfort comes to us from God, and it might take its time. And it might weave around, and we might not go so willingly, but true comfort that comes from God will also lead us back to God to rest in the comfort that he offers. Hopefully that comes to us from within the body of the church. Hopefully that comes to us through the words of Scripture in which we find both grief and comfort. And that that comes to us in moments of prayer and clarity. But grief is real. And comfort comes to us from God in the midst of that grief. There's no help in trying to weave our way around it or pretend it doesn't exist. I know a good friend of mine, if I talk about comfort, right away he would ask me, well, if comfort comes from God, does that include southern comfort? Okay, Yeah, but actually what we're talking about here is real comfort. Not the things that we turn to to try to minimize our pain or avoid feeling the full scope of emotions that we experience. Not the things that we turn to to distract ourselves or to avoid the issue. Not the habits that we have that that distract us from what God might be trying to tell us and lead us. True comfort comes from God. And let's be patient and let it take its time. Because there's some moments where there's no magic words or formula that just make everything better and go away. If there were such words, I hope I would have learned them in seminary. But that's not what we learn from Scripture. Real comfort comes to us from God. And that's where the Apostle Paul starts in 2 Corinthians, is comfort for this church gathered in Corinth. A church that is facing affliction and suffering and grief, both pressure from without 
and division and disagreement and faction and even some hatred from within. We've got a map up this morning just to kind of remind us of where we've been. You can see kind of the uh, exploded view over to the right, which includes Jerusalem, you know, Judea and Samaria. And we've got some members of our congregation there right now, experiencing and enjoying the Holy Lands. Thou shalt not covet. Just a little bit jealous, but someday, someday. But from Jerusalem, where the first arrow is at, that's where Jesus was crucified. That's where Pentecost happened that we celebrated just last week when the Holy Spirit was poured out. But it didn't stay in Jerusalem. The gospel message was never meant to stay in one place. And so it spreads to the second arrow that's pointing right to that city of Corinth, modern-day Greece. Now, I'm not sure if you can see it because I should have made the map a little bit bigger. That's, that's on me. Um, but Corinth is a key city in this region of Achaia. Whatever you preach and teach in Corinth is going to spread out to the rest of the region, which is why even in the opening of this letter, Paul greets the church in Corinth and all the brothers and sisters in Achaia, the whole region. Now, from the second arrow, just north of it, Paul at this time is writing from Macedonia, another key place of the mission that he was on. But from Macedonia, sending a letter down to Achaia, Paul, with Timothy, his brother, sends this word to a church that is struggling. So that's the where. We understand the what of strife and division, pressure from without, division from within. A church that maybe is struggling and needs to be held together by the comfort that God offers. And so we turn to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Even in the opening verse, we find that to be true. This isn't just a formal greeting. There's loaded theological language, even in saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul is an apostle of who? Not of himself, not an apostle of the world, not an apostle of Judaism. Paul is an apostle of Christ. He is not his own self. He is not his own disciple. But Paul is an apostle of Christ. And this is done by the will of God. God has willed that Paul would follow him. The same is true for us, that we are disciples, not disciples of ourselves, not disciples of the world's teaching, not disciples of culture. We are disciples of Christ. And this is because of the will of God, that God has chosen us, that we might be his disciples, to spread his good news, to build his kingdom here. If you're familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, just like 2 Corinthians, the catechism starts with words of comfort. What is my only comfort in life and in death? Question one, the answer, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There is comfort in knowing simply that we are not our own, that what we see is not all there is, but that by the will of God, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of his family. And God, our Father, is the Father 
of compassion and the God of all comfort. What's true on an individual level for Paul being an apostle of Christ by the will of God is also true corporately to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout that that region of Achaia, to the church of God in Corinth. The church is not of Corinth. The church is of God. The church belongs to God. It happens to be in Corinth, which means that the church will face the struggles that the region of Corinth will face, that it will encounter the cultural challenges that that region will face, but that at the end of the day, the church belongs to God and it is simply located in a place, but it is not of that place. North Holland Reformed Church is a church of the Reformed Church in America, not the Reformed Church of America. We are Christ's church. We are in the United States and Canada. We've got some friends up there too. We are in America, but not of it. The gospel is not American in its origin. It is of God in its origin. If the gospel were American, it would probably be copyrighted. But rather, we remind ourselves that what is true individually, that we belong to God, is also true corporately, that this is Christ's church, that he cares for us. We belong to God, not just to ourselves. And so when we turn to comfort, we turn to God. Looking in verse 4, this God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The comfort comes from God And at different times in our life, it is most directly for us. But if you have been comforted, then also the comfort that you receive from God is also to be shared with others. This changes by situation. But comfort comes from God. It's for you and for you and for all of us. But just like the gospel message was not meant to be contained in one place, or held onto, or reserved, or owned, comfort is given to us that we also may share with those who need comfort at different times and different places. Because the suffering is real. Verse 5 reminds us that this isn't just about comfort pretending that sufferings don't exist, but rather, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, there's plenty of suffering, there's plenty of pain, We share abundantly in the sufferings, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Suffering on this earth is real, and it's abundant. But we share our sufferings together. When we are at our best, our suffering, our struggles, our needs, the most painful experiences in our lives are meant to be shared with Christ's body, so that we can share in the abundant comfort of Christ. It's a distressing thought to know that every single one of the people you hold most dear is going to face suffering. 
And yet, comfort abounds in the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul continues in verse 6, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is also for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. There seems to be a very common theme going on here. But, but what does this look like? Because psychology is my other field of study, and I don't pass up an opportunity for puns or to be a little bit of a psychology nerd, I found a helpful theory on this. I want to introduce to you uh, Susan Silk's ring theory. It's just a group of concentric circles, but it has to do with comfort and how we comfort those around us and how we guard ourselves of standing in the way of other people being comforted. Now, at the very center is the person, the individual, who is afflicted, meaning this is their pain, this is their mess, this is their trauma. They own it more than anyone else. The way that this was introduced to me in terms of pastoral care uh, was thinking of chronic treatment, um, someone who is battling with cancer. In that case, the person with the cancer is the afflicted one. They are at the center. Now, the next concentric circle is their, their partner, their spouse. The next circle out would be children, and then to you know, family. The next circle out to close friends. And then the next circle out to coworkers, And eventually, you can keep doing this however long you want. Eventually, you get to people that you wave to on the road that you don't actually know. Sure, they're in your circle too, but this doesn't really affect them. But the person at the center is the most directly afflicted. Now, there's two arrows. One's going into the circle. One's going out. If you're on an outer ring, what you bring and share in is comfort. If someone's in a smaller ring than you, they get your comfort. Just as the Apostle Paul says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort. We're going to put comfort in. Now, if you're in a smaller ring than someone else, then the word that they threw on the arrow is dump. You, you get to dump out. Now, this isn't just a blanket permission to be mean to people if they're in a bigger circle to you. But consider the struggles. If you've walked alongside of someone who has suffered, then you know that there are tough days. And on those tough days, the people that are in a smaller circle are allowed to express that grief, that distress, that pain to those outside of their circle, in the circle bigger than them. For the days when you ask someone, how is today going? And they simply say, it's been a long week and a miserable day. And I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. The person in the middle has permission to say that. And the people on the outside don't get to try to disagree with them or try to minimize it or try to package up their pain and say, no, it's not so bad. They get to listen and comfort. And maybe the most comforting words to say are, I can't imagine how difficult that is right now. It also means the people on the outside don't get to make it about them. There's nothing more annoying. This should all be very counterintuitive, and yet it's not. There's something deeply annoying when people take 
someone else's problems and make it about them. There's almost something selfish about that. And sometimes we do that simply because we're uncomfortable. Some of you know a few weeks ago when Caitlin and I were on vacation, I also co-officiated for my aunt's funeral. And considering in that moment, my aunt is the center. She's the one who passed away. Her spouse, her children are in the next circles. I'm family. I'm one circle out from there. Which means that experience is not about me and my grieving. It is more about those who are closer in. Now, I get to grieve too, but not at the expense of those who are in a smaller circle than me. The most annoying thing that happened in those two days was when I haven't lived in my hometown in several years, and this person came up to me and said, Do you remember who I am? Okay, we're at a funeral visitation, and you want me to play a guessing game? Does this seem out of place in any way? And it might have just been because she was uncomfortable. She didn't know what to say. But what I experienced in that moment was she took my pain as a nephew who's grieving, and she made it about her, that we're going to play some sort of sick 20 questions game at a funeral visitation. That annoyed me. And Caitlin can tell you, I grouched about it for a few hours into Iowa. Don't make someone else's pain about you. It affects you, sure. But pour comfort in towards the center and dump out. Allow people to express their grief. And also, if anyone ever asks me to funeral visitation again, do you know who I am? My answer will probably be, yes, you're a narcissist. You're making this about you, not about the deceased and their family. (sighs) Anyways... And if someone really has to guess, how involved do you think they were in your life? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. We're we're cutting this off. I recognize my Sunday school teachers. Nonetheless, we comfort in and we dump out. This is how we interact with one another. Not by minimizing, but simply by recognizing who needs the comfort here and who gets to just voice that they feel afflicted. But that's not the whole picture, is it? Because this picture is two-dimensional. It's just people to people. But we are Christians, and when we talk about comfort, we are looking to the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. So on the next slide, I've got a simple geometric shape. It's a cone, right? A cone has a circle at the bottom. And all of those rings fit inside that circle at the bottom. But all of that is pointing up and connected to a point at the top. The top piece is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. All of the real comfort, the true comfort that we experience in the midst of suffering and grief comes to us from God and is given down to us. And it works its way through the different circles at the bottom. And we hope and pray and encourage and comfort that those who are at the center of affliction may be brought towards God. If you know some elderly senior saints, you'll know that they have their favorite passages in Scripture because they've experienced suffering and grief. There have been times when they've been at the center of the circle at the bottom. And they've found words for that grief. And they've found words for assurance and comfort in Scripture. 
They've had moments of clarity in prayer. And they've been encouraged by Christ's body, the church. And all of this leads us back towards the God of comfort. And when we are comforted, we learn how to comfort those who are afflicted. Comfort is a real thing. As the screen goes blank again, remember simply this. Our affliction is about us, and we're allowed to be at the center. But we also take our turns in the outer rings, putting comfort in, and to do that well. The last point I have is one that's worth mentioning. And it comes back to where we started with not trying to minimize or explain away the pain or make it less than it really is. At verse 8, the Apostle Paul now takes his turn a little closer to the center. When he's pastoring to the church in Corinth, he's on the outer ring pouring comfort in. But now he gets to share about a time when he was in the middle. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. There's a phrase that I need to pick on just a little bit. And it's one that we hear a lot. And it's one that just doesn't quite measure up with what we find in Scripture. The phrase, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. I wholeheartedly disagree. The Apostle Paul says here, they were given more than they could bear. They couldn't turn on themselves. They could not bear this burden themselves. They had to turn to God. There's some strange understandings of what it would mean if God doesn't give us more than we can bear, then does he just kind of check what we can handle and pour it on as much as we can? God did give them far beyond their ability to endure, and they despaired of life itself. To tell someone who is suffering that God doesn't give them more than they can handle is a very troubling picture of God indeed. The two places that we typically get that from is a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, and James 1, verses 13 and 14. Both of those passages have to do with temptation. In James, that God will not tempt us because God is not evil, therefore cannot tempt by means of evil. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we are not tempted beyond what we can bear, but God gives us a way out. This is about temptation and sin. It is not about suffering and affliction. God does not tempt us by evil, for God is not evil. And when we are tempted, God will give us a way out. But that doesn't, it's out of the context of does God give us more suffering than we can bear? This is about comfort and pain and anguish and distress in 2 Corinthians 1, where we're told, yes, we were given far beyond our ability to endure. Temptation is a different sermon for a different time. But when we wonder why, why is all of this happening? Sometimes there just aren't the right answers or the satisfying words. That takes time. 
There's no way to cheapen it. There's no way to make the pain go away. There's nothing you can tell the mother of a stillborn child that will just make it all go away or minimize that pain. And it would be irresponsible as the body of Christ to do so. But slowly, from the tip of the cone coming down, in the God of comfort, the Father of compassion, we receive true comfort that it works its way through the body of Christ as we pour comfort in and we let other people dump out. As that happens, the Holy Spirit is at work through his word, through prayer, that we might be comforted. Not with a worldly or cheap or simple comfort, but with true comfort. Comfort that will root us in Christ himself, in his word, and manifest itself within us, the body of Christ. My friends, when we face suffering that is far beyond our ability to endure, may we be comforted. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, there are times in life when we face things that are beyond our capacity to endure or to bear. For those moments, we pray that you may surround us by those who will comfort us in real and true ways, in ways that come from you. And God, we pray that you give us strength and courage to comfort and surround those who are suffering, even when they're unpleasant, even when they're negative, even when we feel sometimes like we're getting dumped on. May you give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to bring true and real comfort to those around us, both within the body of Christ for its strengthening and edification and in the world outside of the body so that people may come to know you and the true comfort which you give. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.